0: You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice, a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network in partnership with ReCity and Coastal Credit Union. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming.
1: And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network.
0: All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process.
1: But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers and we will never make you feel like an
0: outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person and that starts with our personal, personal check-in. check-in. Let's do
1: it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, hi. Dear. what a difference. I feel like we said this last time. What what a difference a week, 10 days a makes. Right. Uh, right. When yeah. we were sitting at ReCity in a conference room, Practicing social distancing in our last episode, and now we are our listeners can't tell we are we are on we are phoning in this interview, this episode from our homes as we are following the stay at home orders that we received in the interim.
2: Right. Well, hi everybody. It's kind of weird for us for Rob and I because we. We vibe off of one another in the studio, so this is uh, this is new for everyone. But I'm I'm glad that the show can still go on. Thank goodness for technology and for platforms that are able to still you know support this, these kinds of messages. So this is awesome. Podcasting yeah. is great.
1: Yeah, it, I am thankful that we can continue the conversations because they're they're still happening, right? And and we need to still be talking about. Everything that we have been talking about on this podcast up until now, but now I think it, it definitely feels like a, a pivotal moment around the world where everyone is figuring out what what does my life look like now? What does it look like for me as a member of our community? And I think that it makes the conversations that we're, we've been having just as relevant, if not more relevant, but it just it's a, new, it's a new framework. It's a new backdrop that which all of these conversations are set against that I think we're just going to, we're just going to figure this out together, Jess, you know, like one, yeah. one conversation at a time we keep, yeah. we keep calling in, we keep being, we keep showing up just like you know, that, that term you coined from the very beginning. We keep showing up for each other. We keep showing up for our community and we, we keep processing to help our community know how, what it looks like to show up now because it's going to have to look different.
2: hmm yeah, I was texting a fire a friend of mine who's a fireman in, in Alabama and just checking on him, making sure, you know, I knew protocols had switched and changed. And and he's pretty rational guy, right? I mean, he, he's in public service and first responder. And he sent me a note back right away and, and said, yep, our world has changed forever, right? And so, I mean, we all know that. But it, for me, it was a little bit, it just hit me differently coming from him because he sees things in ways that I'll never see. And for him to feel like, you know, the, the world is sort of tilted a little bit was uh, real in, and, in a new way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so, crazy
1: that, I don't know what, about this for you, but this podcast for me has been a little bit of a marker. And it might even be for our listeners of helping me to process how our world is different. Because every time we meet recently, it's had to look different. And so, right. you know, two, 10 days ago we were at City because we were, we were able to still be there, you know, stay at home work hadn't been issued. And so we were practicing social distancing in a big conference room, six feet away from our, our guests. And now, you know, what a difference 10 days makes where you and I are calling each other on the phone and going to call in all of our guests because we're yeah. all in, in quarantine. And to me that just, it helps, it just like washes over the new, the reality of it all over again. Um, yeah.
2: Right. Well, let's talk about how we're doing before we get into yeah. um, chatting with our guests, Yeah. because um, we'll want to see how they're faring and then learn from them, as always, how we can handle our new environment in the best possible way. But before we do that, let's let's see what our listeners are accustomed to, which is us checking in yep. on each other. And so how are you and the family and the kids? What's going yeah. on?
1: Thanks for asking. You know, it's uh, <laughs> I feel like I give the same answer as like, you know, you know, we're. We're making it you know just hour hour by hour it feels like the the way that I used to work both as a in my job and at home with my family in my personal life was was planned out right um having mm-hmm. four young kids you're just even your weekly schedule right you know getting the grocery rhythm and getting the kids to preschool and first grade and you know, soccer practice and it's like all these all these rhythms have now been disrupted, and you really you can't plan anymore. And also just feels like there's no change. There's no, there's no, everything is just one long day. Uh, it feels like
0: March and April
1: have just felt like one big moment in time. And yeah. And and I'm, I'm processing that most intimately with, with my family, right. With my wife, with my, my four kids. And I think just trying to take it, I think all you can do right now is try to take it hour by hour. And I'm just trying to keep, I'm trying to keep showing up for my family. um, trying to keep showing up for the people around me, trying to keep showing up for people at ReCity. So I think I'm, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big mental shift for me to figure out what, what does life look like right now? And it feels like you can't, you don't shouldn't even bother trying to figure that out for 48 hours from now, because you just got to wake up and exist today, which is just such yeah. a weird place to be.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: How about, how about you? Well, how are you doing? Well,
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I do feel like I'm in the twilight zone half the time, but this morning I woke up and the lights were on in my house and I was like, man, my son doesn't learn how to turn some lights off and I was all fussy and I got up and, you know, walked into the kitchen to get ready to make coffee and he's on the couch doing math lessons and I thought he was asleep on the couch and just left all the lights on. So I said, what are you doing? It's like six. What are you doing? He's like, I'm doing my math homework, and I was like, what? What is happening? You know, because normally he does sleep. We have this schedule where he sleeps, he goes to bed late, and then gets up at like noon. And then he and a classic,
1: is, classic high school college schedule, right? Like that's kind of what... right, and and I'm
2: okay with that. Listen, for all the parents who are trying to get your kids on your schedule, I don't know why you're doing that. Like, like <laughs> let them have their schedule, and if it's a small little overlap that you have during the day, amen for that. Like, I am all for teenage parents of teenage. Of, Parents of teenagers, this would be my recommendation. Trey and I have a couple hours, like four or five hours where we are really, you know, doing chores around the house, making dinner. We might watch a movie, whatever, where we spend really good time. And then he's off, you know, can talk to his girlfriend, talk to his friends, do FaceTimes, all the things. I'm asleep. And then I get up, he's asleep and I'm working. It's perfect for us. So anyways, (laughs) this morning he wakes up and disrupts my calendar, right? I'm like, what are you doing up? This is my time. And he said, I'm just finishing my math lessons. He gets up. He like had a glass of water and he's like, Good night and he went <laughs> to wow. sleep wow. so this is what yeah. we're doing over here. I mean it's Let me uh, just say,
1: let me just lesson. say what you're describing, if if there are any parents out there that would give you any flack, I'm gonna go the opposite and say, You're my goal. Like I like as a as kids, the <laughs> young young kids at the house, like to have a child sleep in past yeah. seven AM would yeah. be The best thing in the world, because guess what? My kids don't know that we're we're in a crisis right now. They're still getting up, and they're still got the same amount of energy right now, and we're it's all bottled in the same house. And so, you're describing uh, a man.
2: Whoo, man! It's pretty great. It sounds like a great
1: a great situation.
2: I know when parents give me that side eye, I'm like, don't even do it. Don't even try it. This works for us. We are highly productive, and we get along. We're having a great time. Together, I was saying to a friend, like, you have to dust off the silver lining playbook and yeah. make it work for you. You have to figure it out for you and your household. There is no go to CNN and here's how you live your life. This doesn't work that right. way. Right, right. There's is no getting on
1: social media and saying, right. oh, it, this family is doing it this way or this mm-hmm. this individual. You know, whatever your situation is, it feels like there is no playbook. And that's in I think general, all, in think general, right? And then it, I think it's a it's a great segue into the reason this podcast exists too, because Jess I think it thrusts you into these moments and i I'd love to hear what these are for you, but like for me, it thrusts me into these moments where like, all right, my first grader who's in public school is yeah. we we're, we're receiving information from the, the teachers and they're trying to roll out these plans to continue to educate right and, and i and I applaud I applaud the attempts of continuing to try to educate our kids in this moment, but it really is, it's a, it it shows you and i'm i'm we're inviting to these zoom calls, right. and and you're hopping on a zoom call and you're realizing it's like that book that came out, you know, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Yeah. Right. You know, I'm asking a similar question. Why, why, who's on this zoom call? And more importantly, who's not on this zoom call right now, because it's, it's really troubling to me. And I think a revealing some of that we're going to get into in a minute. Like it's, it's a revealing moment for us as a society to like grapple with some of the stuff we've been talking about now for half a dozen episodes of, the inequities that exist, um, that we we, we can't ignore. Right. And that's, and that's no, been really I mean, unsettling and, and, disturbing yeah. for yeah.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The, the gaps and the have and have not debate is cl- very clear. I think education is one that most families can start to really see behind the curtain. We aren't set up. I have a friend who sends their, his kids to boarding schools and, you know, he's got He's got the means to do that and has, you know, sent them all off and they're, they're back now. And they are on a rigorous schedule. They're at a 10 a.m. Mm. They get in there. The teacher takes attendance online. They are all set up and they have not, and I'm not kidding you. They have not missed a beat. Okay. Mm. These are high school kids. Yeah. Now you got my kid who's literally being cobbled together lessons, extending spring breaks because systems aren't ready for our kids and and my kid isn't going to boarding school but he's he's getting his lessons done but that's because we have laptops and internet here and right. so he's able to do that and right. so then you think about families who don't have either of those things and who depend on going to McDonald's right for their internet and are sharing devices which is likely a cell phone right Both parents working
1: multiple jobs right? right like let's talk about so, that let's talk about how do you how do you
2: exactly.
1: how do you have a first grader stay on schedule at home when you're not even at home because you're working to feed your family right now because you don't have the luxury of quarantine and the luxury of staying at home.
2: Exactly. So I think, I think everyone sort of realizing that, I don't think anything we're saying is overly new, but it certainly does feel, gosh, it just feels really real. I mean, it feels like, Oh, it's so tangible. You can touch, the the gaps and the cracks and systems and you don't have to read about it you see it i mean i'm seeing it with again it's not quite the same but still my son doesn't have he's not at 10 a.m taking attendance he's right cobbling the stuff together and he's going to be a pass fail which means he's going to miss school for the last two months of his high school career and then three months over the summer. So he won't be in instruction for five months before he goes to college. There's just a lot there. I mean, and I, again, I speak from a perspective of like a mom who's raising a teenager, but you, you've got little ones and, and that it's a whole different level of like those, those interruptions are really significant for our young kids. Yeah. Um, who are trying to read by third grade? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure yeah. on making sure our kids are up to standards that they're already falling short, right? So yeah. now this is really significant for our education system. It'd be interesting to see how they follow our young kids who are in third grade. they will,
1: they will be. And I love what you said. You said that you don't have to just read about it. You're thrust into it because your situation, like it's really unavoidable. It's right there hiding in plain sight for if you just choose to see it, the inequity that these fissures, right, that exist in our, in our society. Because I, I think about, you know, just the, the privilege I have of quarantine that when I go out, though, to go get groceries or I go get gas, right, or I or order takeout and people are coming to my home or Amazon workers are dropping off packages, you know, these are people who are, are deemed essential workers that don't have the luxury of quarantine. And I think, in some cases like like grocery store workers aren't getting the the applause uh mm-hmm. not to say that the, the the healthcare workers it's undeserved 100% not saying that like we we should right. be doing more an and gratitude right? it's an and it, it's it's feeding people keeps you alive too and but but those are minimum wage workers that are putting their life on the line and maybe if they're you know healthy maybe not their own lives but they're going home to people who aren't who are vulnerable that they could be spreading you know, the, the disease too. And so their families are, are taking the risk with them mm-hmm. to continue to, to keep us alive. Right. And then that's just, yeah. that juxtaposition is really hard. It, it's hitting me really hard. And I don't know if you've seen this. I want to talk to you and get your thoughts on this article that just came out in the New York, New York times. I think it was actually yeah. today. It was, it was yeah, I
2: think um, we read the same one I upon
1: the time of recording. It. Yeah. It's an article called in the New York times called location data says it all. Staying at home during coronavirus is a luxury uh, and yep. it's co-wrote by three different authors you can you can find it on the New York Times website but what it, what this article talks about is it's tracking uh, there's a study doing happening right now is tracking the cell phone movements of wealthy and poor communities and it's crazy so basically it's the, the point it's making is that there is a huge divide in who is able to quarantine and, and practice the stay-at-home orders that now half the world is under and who isn't. And it just, it tracks community by community around the nation. You can watch, especially when there's these, this disparity of the rich and poor are in close proximity, but they are living worlds apart in the same city. And there's this one quote that I want to read to out to our listeners that I think really summarizes the article well. It's, it's by Dr. Ashwin Bassan, who is a uh, public health professor at Columbia University. He said this in the article, People want to talk about this virus as an equal opportunity pathogen, but it's really not. It's going right to the fissures in our society. Yeah. And I'm like, and we I, and are, I,
2: we are, we are like the same people. This is why we do this podcast together. Cause that, that <laughs> is, this article hit me hard. That quote hit me hard. The, the idea, cause we do hear it on the media. A lot. And I was saying, you know, this is this virus is the great equalizer, which is Mm -hmm. what's also quoted a little bit later in the article. It's a great equalizer. And that's BS. Like, it's not true. It's not the great biologically
1: true. Right. It's true in one sense and that it doesn't care who it Mm -hmm. infects, meaning it, you know, but at the same time, it's also not true because some people, marginalized people are being further exposed and further marginalized through their exposure while others have the luxury of being safe. Going, right? to, their, because of yeah, how, going
2: to their second home.
1: That's right. And this isn't yeah. new because we know that health disparities have existed in the healthcare system forever, right, across lines of race, class, the intersection of both. Mm-hmm. That's not a new idea, but we're just getting seeing it so clearly right now. But I also have to stop myself and say we're seeing it if we so choose to see it. Because I still think it's something where if you're not looking for it, you could still be blind to this.
2: Yeah. Which is why it's so think, important
1: that we're having this conversation.
2: Yeah, it's important that we have this conversation, that these studies are done. You know, I'll, I'm, it's going to be years and years of going through and combing through these months that we've had together to really put it in perspective, right? We're in it right now. So the data, we are the data, but in a few months, we won't be that anymore. And we'll be able to take some objective looks at what and how this virus has affected communities across the country and not maybe, but disproportionately affected some groups over others. And I think we'll see what lines they fall in and no one will really be surprised. I mean, we're seeing that happen now. It's uh, it's pretty clear, and even just I mean, you know, I get real upset about this. Just the folks who feel like they can ignore this—it's not a big deal—tend mm. to be the communities that aren't dense, right? They're not feeling it right now, and so if it's not me, then it doesn't matter. It's how that—that's that's how it feels to me. Like if I'm not affected, then it's not a big deal. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how we can live our lives that way or take approaches. That are so sterile and disconnected from one another, you know, but when it, when it matters, when it affects me, then all of a sudden it's so urgent and important and we all need to pay attention to you. But when it's not you who cares is like sickening to me, frankly, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, of the way that communities operate. And I'm being general when I say communities because, I, you know, individual people make their own choices. But when you have certain governors and you have leadership that act like they don't understand or don't know or don't take the opportunity to understand what's happening within various parts of their community, like Georgia, I'm being very clear here, and Florida, Mm -hmm. come on. These are your people. These are Mm -hmm. your constituents. And they matter. Politics has to go aside. And we can't plead ignorance. And we can't plead you know, the fifth on this isn't a big deal and I'm not the, I'm not the target group, so I'm not right. going to put any energy and resources behind it. Not well, that's okay. What,
1: that's what I think it sums it up best when we talk about from day one uh, of this podcast, the importance and the power of proximity and getting proximate and the dangers when you're not proximate, right, that I think are being exacerbated in literally when we're being ordered to practice social distancing, right, we're, we're being told don't get proximate right now. I think that, and, and yet we're making decisions or people and leaders are making decisions that affect communities of which they are not a part of, of which they yeah. were not proximate to before. And they're definitely not more proximate to now, right? Like right. there's a, you, you can take that and you can go very political with it, but you could also just zoom out and say, that is a fundamental flaw any, in any decision-making process ever. When you are making decisions for True. people that that you do, you do <laughs> not have, empathy for because you are not proximate to. And that's that Brian Stevenson quote all over again of like, we've got to get proximate to suffering. And so the people who are suffering most right now are not the decision makers. They're not the ones that have the power to be able to make the decisions. Um, And I think that even groups like ReCity have been tried to be intentional for the last five years to say, we need to flip that decision making paradigm on its head. We need to turn that power infrastructure upside down. And we need to, we need to listen to those who are most affected by an issue, they need to be the ones that we take our our cues from. And to me, that's why this podcast even started, Mm -hmm. was to amplify marginalized voices so that we could take our cues from them. We could never have foreseen that we would be doing that within the context of a global virus, right? that's, That's playing out the way it is. But I think at the same time, the values that brought you and I together to do this have not grown less, In importance, I would would say they've only been heightened in how important it is to apply them right now.
2: Yeah, agreed. No, agreed. It's definitely crescendo, no doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah.
1: Well, I think to to maybe help frame this up for our listeners, uh, you know, we this conversation is one where we we thought we would just need to pause and have an extended personal check-in time right here, right? You and I, this this went way longer than we normally do, because usually we're just, we're doing a quick check-in to be able to talk and and then quickly get to our interview and our guests. But I think in this moment in time, it just felt appropriate to just pause and just do an extended time of you and I connecting human to human, because it feels like we need to buffer and create more margin for just more processing time Mm -hmm. as people before we just dive in and just almost feel like we continue as business as usual which we're not going to do. I just want to make very clear like we're not just going to go back after this to talking about issues in bubbles, right? We're going to continue to press in on issues of inequity in our society that have been building sometimes for centuries, but as we quote in the in the beginning, here's what we're not going to do, right? We're not going right. to talk about these issues separate from the realities of which they're now existing in. And so things like affordable housing, things like domestic violence, right? These are things that mattered yesterday, mattered 10 years ago, right? And have been affecting communities for a long, long time. But I think that we're going to try our best in the conversations to come to put those conversations that needed to happen anyway uh, against the new backdrop of which we find ourselves. And I just want to frame that up for our listeners a little bit so they know what, what to expect.
2: Right. Yeah. There's two layers, right? And I, not to, I'm just summarizing. There's two layers to this. One is the work that's happening and was happening three months ago, three years ago, 30 years ago, that work continues to happen with a different lens. Yeah. So that's, So we're going to address that. And then the people that we're going to be talking to, we have to understand that, that more human layer that they're doing this work as people and moms, dads, sisters, brothers, cousins, omit <laughs> A health scare, and so yep. there's just these factors pressing in on diff- in different ways, in- including us who you know we're we're feeling it, and you know we have to do the business of the day. So I hope our listeners are, are ready for that, and and I would I'm sure they are expecting it as well. I I was thinking, you know, I wasn't for for a few weeks, you know, really like you said proximate to you're seeing it in new york you're seeing it you know out of right. uh, washington whatever and then it starts to come in a little bit and you start to look at your own numbers and figure out how you're going to move and how you have conversations with your family and i don't know about you but just this week have had at least five people that i personally know who have who are are figuring this whole thing out like have mm. been diagnosed one
0: mm.
2: one passed away one is in mm. induced coma one is asymptomatic, right? So there's that mm-hmm. whole debate around masks and asymptomatic, and then there's two who are recovering well. And that's just me. And I'm sitting here in downtown Durham, and I I have that proximity to this issue, and it weighs heavily. And at the same time, like we're saying, that you, my, I, the folks that we're going to be talking about, have to wade through that and continue to do this work for our community and get the message out. So that's right. Um, that's right.
1: You, I think you, I think you, you summarize it really well. And I think that's what people can expect in these future conversations is that just like the last couple episodes where we're shining a light, we're still, we're going to continue to do that. That's, that's the, that's the, the tagline of this show, right? Shining a light on the people who are, who are doing the work to pursue justice in our communities, right? That, that work has not stopped. I think you said that last episode, right? It can't stop. Um, right. On behalf of marginalized communities that, that are not stopping. And so that, that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to have these conversations. We're going to, we're going to check in with people on the front lines, right. Who are, who are serving right now and putting their life on the line sometimes um, to continue to serve. And I think it's our, our job. We, we want to follow alongside them and do the same thing. We want, we want to amplify their voices so that we can draw attention to how we heal as a community and how we get proximate in a time of, of a a global quarantine, of a global shutdown in many ways. There are still ways to show up. And I hope that that's what uh, our listeners um, learn and lean in with us in this time in this next chapter for for the Just Podcast. So stay tuned. More to come, right?
0: Thanks so much for listening to Just, a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network in partnership with ReCity and Coastal Credit Union. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review.
1: Many thanks to DJ p Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.